This is Novel Marketing, the show that gives you innovative ideas on how to sell more books. With your host, agent, author, and marketing maven, Thomas Umstead Jr. And best-selling, award-winning author and marketing guru, James L. Rubart. Episode 182. I'm James L. Rubart, but please call me Jim. I'm Thomas Umstead Jr. And in this episode, we're going to talk to you guys about how to use the last few pages of your book to sell loads more of your other books. And Thomas, essentially what we're talking about is back matter, right? The, the stuff that comes at the end of your book, after the final line has been read, all that you know, stuff, everything from acknowledgements to um, links and all that. And, and Thomas and I are excited about this episode because we think it's really going to help you because our guess is a lot of you aren't using the back matter in your book um, as powerfully as you could. So Thomas, to get us started, what exactly is back matter? I kind of gave a hint at it, but how would you describe it? Yeah, it's the pages after the, the end at the end of your book. And it is incredibly powerful, not just for selling other books that you have, but also for building your email list and doing a lot more that we're going to get into. And one of the reasons why this is so powerful is, it, is that it's a form of passive marketing. So, you know, sending out email newsletters and doing advertising and, you know, going to book signings, those are all active marketing. If you don't do them, they don't happen. But if you have effective back matter, you can be dead and the back matter is still selling your books so that your heirs are <laughs> making <working>. money. <laughs> and is that yeah. powerful? Your grandchildren will thank you. <laughs> your grandchildren will thank you. You can be on vacation uh, on the other side of the earth and the back matter is uh, still uh, doing work for you. And I do want to point out that this episode is not just for indies. Uh, traditionally, published authors can do everything we're talking about here. And they have not because they ask not. In fact, if your book is traditionally published, um, typically uh, it's printed in signatures if it's offset printed. So uh, the number of pages is either divisible by 16 or 32, depending on your printer, which means you may have blank pages at the end of your book that your publisher would love to put something on because they have to pay for those pages anyway. And it's only because you never asked that you don't have it. And uh, Jim, have you ever seen this happen? Well, I have actually an example from my next novel that's coming out in May. It's called The Pages of Her Life. And I don't want to give too much away, but there is a tie-in to my very first novel that I wrote called Rooms. And so I went to my publisher and I said, hey, I got this great idea. I can promote Rooms um, through the back pages of the pages of her life. And in Rooms, I can promote the pages of her life through that. So we can do this cross promotion. I need you to do X. And they said, sounds great. We'd love to do that. And they were very amenable to doing that. So Thomas is exactly right. We have this idea as traditional authors, uh, the back matter set, they're going to decide what's in it. And I'm done. But it's not true. If you come with an innovative idea, they will oftentimes say, sure, we can we can absolutely help you out with that. Because if you grow your your, your newsletter list, guess what happens? You sell more books and that makes them happy. So you can really go into it with a collaborative mentality of I'm going to bring a great idea to my director of marketing at my publishing house and we're going to use the back matter area to execute it. 
nine times out of 10, they're going to say, great, let's, let's make that happen. Yeah. I, in my personal experience, I've never seen a traditional publisher push back on back matter unless they're at max pages in adding back matter would mean not just adding the one page or two pages you want to add, but adding 16 more pages because they need to add another signature. And then they would push back and they'd be right to do so because every signature that you add to a book adds some real cost to it and it's not worth it. Uh, for the back matter. But that rarely, rarely happens. Now, if you're indie, the advantage, since your book is typically print on demand and you're selling it as an ebook, you can make changes to your back matter on the fly. So you write book one and, you know, you're at while during book one, you're promoting your short story and, you know, come get the short story with the same characters and you get on your email list. Well, once book two comes out, you want to be promoting book two. Well, you can go back and edit your back matter to promote book two and all future print buyers of your book will get that new back matter as will all ebook readers and especially all future ebook readers. Your older ebook readers actually can get their book updated if they push the button on their Kindle. Um, now, another difference that's important to note is that for traditional authors, you need to turn in your back matter when you turn in your manuscript. So we're talking way before your book is published, whereas with indie authors, um, they can wait longer because they're more involved in the typesetting process. Now, so, Jim, why, with that out of the way, let's talk about why back matter is so powerful. Well, Randy Ingermanson in his book, How to Write a Dynamite Scene, and in his other teachings, he always talks about the reader having a powerful emotional experience. That's what we want to do in our chapters. And at the end of the book, we want those readers to have a powerful emotional experience. That is the time to get them. After they've said, oh my goodness, I love this book. It was wonderful. The iron is never going to get hotter and we're going to strike while the iron's hot. That is the sizzle. That's when you're going to be able to sell them anything else on the menu. So rather than waiting and having them get a something you mail to them in the newsletter or having them go search out on your website, you want to give them something to do right then and there. And this is a huge opportunity uh, that you do not want to waste. And that what Jim, what, what you said there about the striking while the iron's hot. Now that's an old metaphor. Not everyone knows much about blacksmithing. <laughs> they don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's really true with people. Uh, there's a, a lot to be said about the timing of when you are asked about something. Uh, this drives economists crazy because if we were truly rational, it wouldn't matter. The timing wouldn't matter. Uh, but the reality is that it's that we aren't fully rational beings and the timing really does matter. There's a whole book in the Bible all about this, believe it or not. In the book of Esther, Esther has to make a big ask of the king. She's risking her life to do it. And so she does this huge elaborate scheme to make the timing right so that when she does finally ask the question, she gets a yes. And the same thing happens if people are, and you've experienced this, right? You just read a book and you have to put it down. You're just like experiencing this powerful emotional moment. If at that moment you turn the next page and it's like, continue the story on book two, if, if you've had a powerful emotional experience of book one, you're like, shut up and take my money. And I will say as a reader, I have done this. When I finished the first Hunger Games book, I did not just get Hunger Games 2. I bought Hunger Games 3 at the same time. I was pre-committed through the entire trilogy. I loved it so much. And that is what you want. And if you don't have back matter, if they don't know you have a book two, uh, you've just lost out on making your reader happy. So you're actually doing your reader a favor. And I will say somebody who reads a lot 
often back matter is left out of the audiobook. And sometimes I will read a book uh, or listen to a book and have this huge emotional experience. Be like, man, I really wish there was more from this author with no idea that there was. In fact, there's another book in that series and I didn't even know it uh, because it wasn't uh, mentioned. Well, and there's been other times that, it, and also it'll. this has happened to me where I'm, I have put down a book and I've said, wow, I am going to find out if that author has other books because that was so good. I, I am intentionally going to seek that out. And then something distracts me and I'll, you know, it'll be six months later. And it's like, oh, that's right. I was going to look up and see if he had anything else. And so, Thomas, you're exactly right. I mean, boom, now is the time to do it. All right, so let's talk briefly about how to edit your back matter. If you're indie published, this is on you. If you're traditionally published, you just, you know, send a Word document to their publisher and they edit it for you. So one of the benefits of being um, traditionally published, but they do have final call whether it makes it in. Uh, and it sometimes is awkward, right? If you have some books with one publisher and some other books with a competitor. Um, but if you're indie, the software that I recommend uh, is Vellum. It's the best. It's Mac only. Uh, Jim and I have author friends who bought a Mac just so that they could use <laughs> Vellum. Uh, that's how simple and easy to use and powerful the program is, I think it's 100 or $200 to buy. Uh, and so if you can afford it, that's what I would go with. Um, if you can't afford it, if you're on a really tight budget, draft to digital uh, can convert a Word document to an ebook format for you uh, for free. Um, and then there's Caliber, which is back when I was a kid, that's what we use. <laughs> we would code <laughs> our ebooks in HTML by hand. Um, and Caliber is very much from that old world. It's a little clunky. The interface is not great. Um, if you can afford Vellum, you'll much prefer using Vellum. But your other option is to hire a contractor uh, on like Fiverr.com, somebody with Vellum who could just very quickly do it for you for 5 or $10. And we have a link uh, to Fiverr. Uh, and if you use our link, it's an affiliate link, you'll save 20%. So thank you, Fiverr, for sponsoring our podcast. Uh, so that's how to edit the back matter. And the reason why you need to know how to edit it is that it's a beneficial to update your back matter frequently. If you're an author with 10 books out, probably the best thing you can do right now to improve your sales in the long run is to stop doing all of your marketing until you've gone and updated all of your 10 books back matter to mention your website, to mention your lead maps and all the things we're going to talk about later on in this episode. Uh, Jim, you went through this process, right, with your books. You got them back. Uh, you you were able to get the rights reverted to some of your books. Uh, you went through this process of updating the back matter, right? This is part of your uh, procedure of kind of becoming an indie. It, exactly right, Thomas. And I, so I had to think, all right, what do I want them to do at the end of each book? And so one of the things I did was the in my first novel rooms, my character goes into this room in this house that's a manifestation of his soul, and he starts writing music again after many years, and he was a guitar player, and this room is full of guitars and recording equipment. It's really cool. Well, he writes these songs, and I thought, well, I play guitar, and I'm going to take a song I've written and actually record it, and I did that. And so now at the end of my book, I say, hey, do you want to hear what one of the songs would have sounded like that Micah wrote in the house? And I have a direct link. So you can link right from my, the, the Kindle version of the book and go right to the website and download that song. Now, you also have to give me your email address to, to do that. 
Yes, it is a lead magnet, but that's a really creative way. I think when they're in the emotional experience of, oh my gosh, I love this story. I love Micah. Yes, I would love to hear what one of his songs sounded like. And boom, I give the reader something they really enjoy. And then I get the benefit of getting their email address. So yeah, Thomas, I had to think through everything, all the back matter on, on all three of the books I now have the rights to. All right, so let's talk about what you can put in your back matter. We're about to give you a lot of ideas. And before we go through these ideas, I need to say, don't use all of these ideas. <laughs> Some of these you'll want to <laughs> use you'll want to use for sure. Uh, but this is a pantry that we are about to give you for you to then cook a meal with. That doesn't mean you use all of the ingredients. So you'll get an idea as we go through. Oh, that's something I could use. Oh, I don't want to do that. Uh, you don't need to put all of these things. In fact, I think it would really be bad for you to put all of these things. That's too much back matter. <laughs> You'd have a lot of back matter. Too much. Yeah. Uh, so the first thing uh, that I think is good, and this is almost universal, especially in the ebook, is to ask for a review of your book. A lot of authors email us and they're like, you know, how do I get more reviews for my book? I need more reviews so I can get linked on, you know, BookBub. You know, what do I do? And the easiest thing is to just ask for it. And the best place to ask for it is right after the, the end where they can touch with their finger or through their electronic device to go straight to the page where they leave a review. Now, careful. If you submit a link to leave a review on Amazon on an iBooks book, or a um, Kobo book, or a Nook book, your um, manuscript will be rejected <laughs> because uh, the various ebook platforms don't like you to link to their competitors in their ebooks. So you're actually going to have to create, uh, if you want to have the, the link, a version for each of the stores that you're on. This is one of the advantages of being exclusive to Amazon. You just link to Amazon, you don't have to bother with the rest of them. But if you're going wide, uh, it's all the more reason to have software like Vellum where you can very quickly make multiple versions that link to the different stores. Another thing you might consider is linking to Goodreads. I don't think any of those platforms have a problem with you linking to Goodreads and that way you can get better, more positive Goodreads reviews which can drive sales there. Next thing you might, you could do is promote the next book in the series. That's fairly obvious, but you don't have to necessarily do that. But if you choose to link to the next book in the series. You're going to want the book cover there. You're going to want your killer blurb there. And you're going to want to link to where these folks could buy it, whether it's Amazon for Kindle, iBooks for iBooks, Kobo for Kobo, etc. cetera. Um, and then you can link to your book's landing page. Thomas, I think you did this for Courtship and Crisis, didn't you? I did. And I, I recommend that if you can buy the domain name for your book. So I bought courtshipandcrisis.com. And if you go to courtshipandcrisis.com, it will redirect you to thomasumstat.com forward slash books forward slash um, courtship and crisis. And it costs $10 a year or $11 a year. I use Namecheap for my domain registration and they redirect it for me. I don't have to pay any money for it to be redirected. And not only is this useful in places like the back of the book where it's like, oh, look, there's a website for this book, when really it's just a book page powered by my book table. Um, but it's also really useful if I'm ever on the radio. And I, when my book came out, I did a lot of radio and did a lot of podcasts. And I was always able to say courtshipincrisis.com 
which was a much better place to send people than thomasumstat.com. I challenge you right now, try to go to Thomas Umstat. Try to spell Umstat correctly. <laughs> Where one of you succeeds, a hundred will fail. So it's not a good um, URL to give. Um, whereas Courtship in Crisis, it's the same name as the title of the book. So as I'm talking about my book, Courtship in Crisis, I'm also talking about courtshipincrisis.com. And just like I've done in this last uh, couple of minutes, you've heard it over and over again. And it helped that repetition helps you remember it and all for the cost of a $10 per year domain. And to be clear, Thomas is not saying he's branding himself as courtship in crisis. That's not the brand, but it's a way for people to get it stuck in their mind so that they can go to their phone or their laptop, put that in and boom. So it takes them right to Thomas's page, which, which is where he uh, wanted them to go in the first place. That's right. And most of the domain registrars will do the redirection. I'm pretty sure Hover does it. GoDaddy might even do it. Uh, Namecheap for sure does. GoDaddy does it. Okay, GoDaddy does it. Uh, so, so it's not a unique thing to Namecheap. I use Namecheap. I like Namecheap. Uh, but I'm not saying move to Namecheap. Use whatever registrar you're using for your other domain names. But this isn't the domain name episode, so we should go on to the next <laughs> thing. Uh, and this is separate, believe it or not, although it sounds connected. And that is to include the first chapter of your next book. And I will say the first time I saw this done was in probably 1995. A author, John Bybee, wrote the Homeschool Detectives books. And I was a young homeschool kid reading these and each, they were like thrillers written for a YA audience. And each book had the first chapter of the next book at the end. And here's what was so terrible. He did that before he'd written the next book. <laughs> so I'm like waiting on pins and needles as a kid for the next book to come out, having read the first chapter. And what was interesting is that the chapter often got edited, right? Because it wasn't the final version of the chapter. Though it got printed in the initial version may have you know, been tweaked a little bit. But he had a whole army of kids, you know, and with eager anticipation for the next chapter. It's even more effective now in the days of ebooks and audiobooks. Um, I'll just keep listening. You know, I don't turn off the audiobook and I hear the first chapter and then it just stops. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I've got to keep listening if I want to hear the rest of the story. And then I go and I buy your book. And it's a very easy transition. It doesn't cost you anything. Um, if you've already uh, written your next book, it's just a copy and paste. It's very, very powerful. Make sure that it does end on a cliffhanger, though. If your first chapter ends on, oh, well, stakes don't seem too high. I guess I'll be okay if I never find out. It's not going to work as well. So, And some people write better hooks at the end of their chapters uh, than others. So just make sure you run that by some people and people who have not read your book before and see if it grabs them and they look at you and go, uh, got to know what happens next. Although really you owe it to your book to always have chapter one end on a cliffhanger. I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> like you got to give people a reason to read chapter two of all the <laughs> chapters to end on a, with, you know, you can't end chapter one on a whimper, but this is not the writing episode. So let's move on <laughs> to goodies. Okay. Jim, what are some goodies that people can put in the back matter? Well, you can do, you can do some fun stuff. You can do photos in there that inspired the book photos where the book is set. Uh, most of my, well, all of my novels are set in modern you know, modern times. And so I've taken, I've traveled to most of, most of the places my books are set. So I've got photos I can put in there. You can put in links to a splash page where you have deleted scenes if they sign up for your newsletter. So that would be another idea of a leg uh, lead magnet. You could even do something as creative as suggest soundtracks that you think are perfect to listen to your books to. 
So you go, you know, put on this one and, and you will really enjoy my book all the more. Um, some authors have gone to the extreme of actually having people compose music that is supposed to accompany their stories. I'm not saying you have to go to that extreme, but you can search around pretty easily and go, wow, this piece of music really has the mood of the story. And, and you provide that uh, to, your, to your readers in the back matter. Uh, also maps. If you're writing fantasy, especially epic fantasy, I will speak for epic fantasy readers when I say we love us some maps. And notice I said maps plural. <laughs> so uh, a map of the world, also a map of the city where a lot of the story takes place. We love us some maps. Uh, the next things to include, and I'm going uh, to do these at the same time because they're the same, but they're also different. And that is credits and acknowledgments. And uh, credits are more rare. I don't see this as often in books. And I, th- I feel that this is a real missed opportunity uh, for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, there's this principle that when somebody puts their name on a piece of work, they're going to do better work for you. And so you will get better work out of your whole team, whether they're editors or cover designers or beta readers or launch team, whoever they are, they will work harder for you if they know their name's going to end up in their book. Uh, Steve Jobs really believed in this in the early Macs that were shipped actually had the signatures of the various engineers like etched into the metal, I think, or maybe they signed them with Sharpie. I do know that those are now super valuable. (laughs) If you have an old Mac in your closet, if you open it up and it's got signatures on the inside, don't throw it away. (laughs) It could be worth a fortune. I did not know they did that. That is, that's cool. What a great idea. But the reason Steve Jobs did that was that he wanted every one of those engineers who worked on it to feel like this is their work, right? And and it's a powerful motivation. So if you look at my book, Courtship in Crisis, you can see it lists all three editors that I worked with. It's got my um, book mentor, the cover designers, uh, the launch team members. Yes, I put the names of all the people on my launch team in the back of my book. And yes, it motivated them to really work hard on the book, knowing their name was there. I had the alpha readers, the beta readers, the page designer, All of those people were listed in the credits. And the credits were people who touched the book and worked on the book. It's like the credits at the end of a movie. Now, I also have acknowledgments. And I forget if my acknowledgments are at the beginning or the end. I like um, acknowledgments are one of the few things on this list that work very well at the beginning of your book if you want to put them there. Um, And acknowledgments are people who helped you as a person, right? If your husband or wife was very encouraging to you, your parents are very encouraging to you. I acknowledge the coffee shop that I wrote at, right? Like they were a great place um, to write. But this is not necessarily people who worked on the book per se. They, They didn't get a credit for working on the book, but they were helpful. And I wanted to acknowledge that help. And yes, some people were listed in both places. Yeah, that's interesting, Thomas. I in in my first novel, I, I it was my first novel, so I had a lot of people to thank, and we decided to put it at the back uh, simply because the front we felt like it would delay the reading experience a little bit. Uh, typically, when your acknowledgments are shorter, you 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 can put them at the front and do that. But yeah, either way, I, I think really works. Yeah, and I, I do think that's a case by case basis. And the other reason why I had credits was that since I was indie, I wanted to help the careers of the people who worked with me, right? And everyone's always like, oh, who's a good editor? I'm like, well, I've got names of my editors that I use in the back of my book. And you can see how good of a job they did by reading the book, right? If you thought that was a well-edited book, you know, there their names are. And, you know, they are working knowing their name is going to end up in the book. So it motivates them to do a good uh, job. 
the next thing to include in the, or that you can include in your back matter is a letter to the reader. Jim, I don't know if you do this uh, with your books, um, but with my book, what I did was I had a letter to the reader. It was like, help advance the cause, help us change the world with this topic. So it's nonfiction. And that's where I ask people to leave reviews. I ask people to share it on social media. Um, I also had some information on like how to reach me. Uh, this is one uh, place that's very interesting. Some authors will put their um, email address and some authors put their cell phone number in the letter to the reader. They're like, hey, if you have any questions, call me. Um, I'd love to hear your feedback. I see this especially with business books often. Uh, and you want with a customer service background, they put their phone number in the back. Um, I don't see this as much with novelists. Novelists don't care enough. They don't want to talk to you on the phone, <laughs> uh, which is fine. I'm not saying you have to put your phone number in the back, but that's the sort of thing I see in, in the letter to the reader. Jim, what have you, have you played with letter? Do you do that at all? Yeah, I do that. Uh, most of the time I do, because one of the questions I get most often is, wow, where did this story come from? And so the reader letter is a way to tell you, well, this is, this is the inspiration. This is the emotions and the circumstances behind the story. And I love that when I read a book and I get to read about, oh, okay, now it makes even more sense to me and the story becomes deeper to me because I know the motivation behind it. So a lot of times I'll, I'll tell that. I'll tell the story of, of where the book came from. All right. Uh, the next thing that you can feature in your back matter is your lead magnet. Uh, this is that free thing that you're giving away in exchange for someone's email. Um, for fiction, this is most commonly a prequel, something that happens before the story starts, or a short story uh, that takes place after the, the the end of the book. So if you want to know what happened, or maybe there's some side character who, you know, you're having a romance, you have this really interesting third character, and he hopped on a plane and flew to India, and you got a short story, of, and he left the story when he flew to India. Well, you could have a short story of what he was doing in India, right, that didn't really touch the rest of the plot. Maybe you had to cut it. Your editor was like, this doesn't really fit, but it's the sort of thing that could still um, uh, work in terms of it uh, being appealing. The key with the lead magnet is that people have to want it. It can't be... Um, you know, a free chapter, right? No one's going to give you a, their email address for a free sample chapter that they could read on Amazon without doing that work. So it's got to be more valuable than that. It's got to be more substantive than just uh, free pages of the, your next book. That you should just copy and paste right in. Uh, don't make them jump through hoops to get that. Uh, what are some other lead magnets? Real quick, because we have a whole episode on lead magnets and we will link to it. But Jim, what are some other good uh, lead magnet ideas? Well, I, again, I'll go back to this idea of I wanted to come up with something different for my lead magnet, not just the deleted scene or the, you know, uh, another chapter or that kind of thing like you're talking about. And so that's why I had this song idea where people can go and, go and get a song. So I guess I would encourage people to think outside the box, brainstorm with this, and especially if you're an indie author. If you're an indie author, you can experiment because like Tom was saying, you can change things all the time. So you can put something in there and maybe you see that your newsletter list is going up slowly. I'm going to try something else, try something innovative. And you see, oh my gosh, that's going through the roof now. And so you're not locked into one idea. You can experiment with a lot of different ideas. Another option for your back matter is to include uh, discussion questions and other reading group resources. Uh, there's two ways you can do this. You can list them right in the book. And the advantage of that 
is that it makes it more likely people will discuss your book and more obvious. Um, the downside is you don't get their email address and it's a lot of pages potentially that not everyone is interested in. The other option is you use the reading go- uh, group resources as uh, your lead magnet. <laughs> so uh, you, this kind of combines with the uh, previous one if you want. And we did an entire episode on reading group resources, episode 165. I do encourage you to check out the show notes for this episode. So we're linking to a lot a lot of the things we're talking to you about. We've done whole episodes on. Um, so you can find that at novelmarketing.com forward slash 182. The number is 182. Um, you'll see all of our notes uh, for this episode. Um, so reading group resources are a great thing to include. Uh, another thing to include is social media links. Jim? Yeah, you want to consider making your book a hashtag. You want people to find out where they can interact with you. And if I can just click, boom, and get the latest stuff that's going on with Thomas Umstead Jr., how fun is that, right? So you have this emotional experience. You want to be connected to the author. You want to find out more about the author. You want to know more of their background, et cetera. I've done this so many times. And if I can just click on a a Facebook icon or a Twitter icon or an Instagram icon, boom, I'm probably going there. I'm probably liking the page or I'm following on Instagram, following on Twitter. This is a great opportunity to take you right to what an author is doing right now. And I will say I took this to the next level with my book. I uh, In the p- printed version, in the bottom right-hand corner, which normally has the title of the book, instead I have hashtag courtship and crisis, <laughs> um, which is still the title of the book, but it's, it's kind of this invitation. Hey, come discuss this on social media. And I will say back when the book first came out, it was fun to see people using that hashtag. And what was nice about it is that it's aged well. So while when my book came out, Instagram wasn't very big, Instagram now is huge. Well, Instagram uses hashtags, just like all the other social networks. And so it still works, right? Like, um, which, which was nice. It, maybe uh, social networks won't always use hashtags, but I feel like enough of them do with Instagram, Facebook, and uh, Twitter all using hashtags. That And I think Google Plus used it back when that existed, that it, it's kind of got critical mass. And especially with advertisers, right? you watch a Super Bowl, every ad has a hashtag attached to it. Advertisers really like a kind of universal marker that people can use to talk about their product. Well, it doesn't cost you anything to make a hashtag for your book. Just pick something no one else is using and you know put it on your book and boom, who knows? It might help uh, your readers connect with each other on social media. What about an author bio and photos, Thomas? Do you, you like the idea of throwing those in? Yeah, if it's helpful. Um, it's very common. Most books will have that uh, in the uh, in the back matter. Uh, another thing that kind of goes without saying, but it, it needs to be said, is the end notes and appendix. Uh, and a lot of these things could be called appendix, actually. Um, I find the word appendix uh, really means you're you have permission to stop reading now. Uh, so I wouldn't necessarily use the word appendix until you've gotten past a few of the most important things. Uh, but all of this goes after the the end, so to speak, of your book. Uh, speaking of which, let's talk a little bit about the order to put these in. Because there's actually some uh, key marketing strategy uh, in what order you put them in. And you want to put them in the order that you want people to do them. <laughs> so if somebody only did one thing, one invite, 
and your back matter. So you're inviting them to review. You're inviting them to buy the next book. You're inviting them to share on social media. You're, you're giving all these invitations. What's the one, you're inviting them to get your lead magnet. What's the one thing you want them to do first? And that needs to be the first thing they see in the back matter. For most of you, I'm guessing that's asking for a review. That's the number one thing. It drives everything else is the number of reviews. It's not about how many stars you have. It's about how many reviews you have. More reviews equals more sales. Um, but for you, maybe it's different. You want to push something else. Um, but whatever that is, you need to think about it because people will give up through the back matter. They may not get to your last thing. They may not get to the end notes, right? Put those at the very back because they're not that important. Yeah, it's very possible if you have them take an action, they will take that action and then be done they're not going to go back to the book. And so I disagree with Thomas just a little bit. I would say my number one priority is I want their email address. I want to get them on my list. So I would put that first and then I would go with the reviews second. But again, you get to experiment with this. Even if you're traditionally published, you get a chance to experiment with this. Uh, if you have a good relationship with your publisher, they they can make changes. Again, not as fast and, and certainly not as much in the print books, but but certainly with the online the e ebooks. Uh, the one thing I, I would say needs to go last last is the sample chapter of the next book. And because very rarely, not everyone's going to read through that whole thing. And you don't want to like hide the end notes um, behind the sample chapter. Uh, so that's the one thing I'd leave at the end. And then at the end of the sample chapter, I would have that link to go and buy, right? If they are on the hook, you stuck the landing at the end of your first chapter and people are like, oh my gosh, I got to know what happens next. There had better be a way. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see the, your cover of the book. So I know I found the right book, the title, and preferably a link to buy it. If it's an ebook, I just tap and go and buy it on the store that I'm already using. Um, this really, really can make a difference in your sales and it can start making a difference right away. Thomas, guess what? What? We, we have a featured patron. All right. Another featured patron. Y'all are the best. I just want to say. <laughs> we love our patrons. We love all of you, but we, uh, yeah, we, we do love our patrons. And our featured patron this week is Peter DeHaan and his book, 95 Tweets, Celebrating Martin Luther in the 21st Century, where Peter essentially asks, what would it look like if Martin Luther lived today? And he tweeted his 95 theses about the church. And uh, Peter goes into what we can learn from taking a fresh look at them. Uh, we'll have a link to the Peter's book in the show notes. And Peter, thank you so much for being a patron of the Novel Marketing Podcast. And uh, not all of our patron levels get featured on the podcast, but the one that does get you mentioned actually has a couple of open spots right now. It doesn't always have openings, but it does right now. So if you want to, if, any, if you're a uh, patron and you've been wanting to get your name featured, but there wasn't a spot uh, right now, you can upgrade if you would like. Just go to patreon.com forward slash novel marketing. We also have links to it at novelmarketing.com. All right. And Thomas, who's our sponsor this week? Our sponsor is the Tax and Business Guide for Authors. Uh, this is your last chance. We're coming down to the wire on this. Yeah. So it's interesting because the people who are procrastinating the work may be the kind of people who need this course the most, but they're also likely the kind yeah, of people who are the least likely to buy it. So it'll be interesting to see uh, if any more sales come through. It's been selling. You know, A lot of people have been buying it already and going through it and getting help with their taxes and learning how to maximize uh, the amount of money that they save on their taxes and also business advice for kind of how to craft your writing business in the future to do things in a tax optimized way. You know, how often do you wish you had a time machine to go back to the last tax year and make changes to how 
uh, you are operating things. Well, you know, you can do that. You have a time machine from the future that has brought you to the present and you can be kind <laughs> to your future self uh, by taking this course and learning what to do and what not to do. And of course, I teach it with my dad, who's a CPA with over 35 years of experience working with authors. He doesn't work exclusively with authors, but he's been working with authors for over 35 years. And you can find out more at authortaxtips.com. And of course, our patrons, who we love very much, have an exclusive coupon to save 50% on the course inside of Patreon. Indeed. Now, Jim, uh, one while we're talking about courses, I hear you did a secret beta launch of a new course. Tell me about that. Yeah. So this is the online version of the Rubart Writing Academy. We Taylor and I always wanted to do this. We've been doing the live events now for two years and loving that. But we always thought, what if people can't travel? Or what if it's just too expensive to come to the live version? What can we do for them? So we have finalized and finished um, the Rubart Writing Academy online. All right, but but people can't buy, right? It's closed. Registration's already closed. You opened it for a week and then closed it just as a test run. We did close it. So this is not the sponsor. <laughs> this is just <laughs> Yeah, this is not. Yeah. So so yeah, I am not saying, "Hey guys, go check it out" or anything like that. Um we wanted to give it a run. We wanted to make sure all the are the kinks are out, all the bugs are out, and so we're doing that now and but we will definitely uh let you know when it's open for registration again. So it's kind of like beta readers for a book, but for your course. I, I like that. I, I can respect that. I can respect that. Yeah, that works, doesn't it? Yeah. All right. Well, you've been listening to Thomas Umstead Jr. and James L. Rubart on the Novel Marketing Podcast, giving you innovative ideas on how to promote yourself and your writing offline, online, and everywhere in between. Thank you for listening. <laughs>